Thank you so much for your kind words, Chuck. Um, it's a far cry from what we came into uh, at Christ the King. So it was our first or second Sunday here, and uh, like a good pastor, Chuck invites us uh, out to lunch to get to know us, and of course we assented to that. So we go, and uh, hey, so glad that you're here. You know, we'll, we'll take care of the meal. So the meal arrives, I got some soup. And uh, I'm a, I get my spoon about ready to eat the soup, and he's like, hang on, what's going on? And there's a bug in there. I, I kid you not, a little mosquito, the waitress comes over, and, you know, Chuck's like, hey, there's a bug in here. And <laughs> she's like, no, that's just a piece of cilantro. He's like, no, 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 that is not cilantro. Look, it's a mosquito. It has legs, it has wings, and it's little uh, <laughs> proboscis. Yes, that's, that's what it is. So, from the mosquito uh, at our first time here to the love and the warmth that we have finally felt, just kidding, uh, at Christ the King. No, Katie and I are very thankful, uh, and it's been a delight to be here in fact, uh, yeah, I mean, you guys, just a, just a personal note, Chuck said it, you guys really took care of my wife and embodied what the church is supposed to be uh, when I was deployed. So thank you so much. Uh, you've embraced us, put your arms around us. And I think Christ the King has also given us an image of what it means uh, to have a healthy church, what that looks like. Uh, it's very familial here. Uh, the care that you show and the love to one another uh, is really a representation of the gospel. So don't let that go unnoticed, uh, and I want you to know that that is what we have felt and observed here, observed here at Christ the King. So thank you so much uh, for your love and care towards us. Well, this morning we're going to talk about uh, epistemological fidelity. Now, before we say, what on earth is this guy talking about, let me, let me explain what that means. So epistemology is kind of the study of or theory of knowledge, or more simply, how we know what we know. That's what epistemology is, and it is important to think about. And fidelity, of course, means faithfulness. And so really what we're getting at here is having... Uh, Fidelity and the right knowledge. So we want to be faithful in knowing the right things that we're called to know. And in doing so, then we can have fidelity or faithfulness in knowing God. So really this morning, we're talking about the business of right knowledge. And our text this morning will get into that. But let me bring it maybe from the abstract or the theoretical down to something of which we've all experienced. So we all need doctor's appointments from time to time. So we go to the doctor's office and we hope that we have a doctor uh, that is very astute in their knowledge. You do not want a physician that barely passed medical school and barely passed residency to give you a diagnosis. At least, that's not me. So, they need to have the knowledge uh, because you have ignorance of your problem. You don't know what the problem is. You have fear of what could come of this ailment, uh, and you have hope, too, that you will be healed or, or receive the proper treatment. So, a doctor is only good 
uh, as her knowledge, uh, her knowledge of the human body, its functions, its processes, uh, and knowing the patient's history. But also, just mere knowledge is not enough. Anybody can spew knowledge or information. The physician also needs to make a sound judgment call on what the issue is, synthesizing all this information that you have presented to them with this knowledge to make a proper judgment. And then they can apply, uh, apply evidence-based practices and current medical trends uh, to the ailment. Now, these two things make for a quality health appointment. I think you all would agree. However, there's a final ingredient um, that is your responsibility, and that's to trust what the doctor says and to be, quote, obedient to the treatment plan. So that is what knowledge, that's the epistemology that we're going to be looking at this morning. So I think we're often careful in trusting our physical health to a physician. Uh, many of us want to do that. But I think we're, far, we're often far less discerning with our spiritual knowledge. In his letter to Timothy, Paul is cementing what epistemological fidelity looks like. So let's read uh, 2 Timothy, verses 3, 10 through 17 together. Now hear God's word. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and Lystra, which persecutions I endured. Yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted while evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, Timothy, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you have learned it, and, from how, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, just pray uh, this morning that your spirit would be with us, your spirit of truth, uh, to illuminate uh, this passage to our hearts, Father. I pray that we would look uh, to your word as we are this morning, which is God-breathed, that we may draw faith from it, Father, that we may know you more through this uh, text this morning. So be with us, encourage us, uh, and apply these words to our minds and to our hearts, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, this is uh, the second letter of uh, Paul to Timothy. And Paul here is writing uh, during his final imprisonment. Uh, So he he knows his death is imminent, and he's writing under its shadow. And so in some sense, this is Paul's last will, his last testament to his dear friend and uh, his younger brother in the faith, uh, who's charged with the church at Ephesus. 
These are Paul's words to him. Uh, and so there is a, a seriousness about them. Emperor Nero's persecution is in full swing at this time, and Paul knows this. That's why he, he knows his time is short. And there's already splintering deviations from Christianity and, and its teachings. And these verses that we just looked at, 10 through 17, are in stark contrast to the first nine verses of this chapter. Uh, and it, those first nine verses characterize the culture of the day uh, and how swindlers imbibe the culture and attempt to synchronize it with Christianity. Now, if we look in verse 2, it, it says, lovers of self. Now, we would be naive uh, to think that lovers of self do not exist in our culture today as well. Uh, in fact, Carl Truman rightly remarks about our day, self-creation is a routine part of our modern social intuition. Self-creation. Everyone is susceptible to it. This is the air that we're breathing. And the concept of self has vast implications on our knowledge as well. In fact, we contend towards self-knowledge. And it's an area where authority evaporates and true knowledge originates within the self, along with an increasingly uh, desire or increasing desire for political singularity. You see, these cultural narratives that we and also Paul experienced, they gnaw at our hearts and our minds, and they poison our knowledge if we're not careful. So not only are we susceptible to these cultural narratives uh, that we hear and know all the time, but also our sin simply makes us ignorant of real knowledge. And that's Paul's concern here. And that's why he's stating that Scripture is a is a priori, meaning that it is the objective right standard. It comes first. Now, I won't go into apologetics or the philosophy of all of this this morning, uh, but I want Scripture to be our guide as we look at what does right knowledge look like. You see, God not only reveals knowledge of himself through creation, you can look around and see that, Romans uh, speaks to that, uh, but also, and in particular, he reveals himself through scripture, uh, which Paul says is literally God breathed. So in his mercy, God the Father has instructed us in epistemological fidelity through Jesus Christ. That's the reality of it. And Paul elucidates what this means or what it means to know God. And we're going to look at, at how he addresses it here in three different ways. The preeminence of knowledge. So it's the priority of knowledge. The colonization of knowledge. How we should be applying that and colonizing that in our lives. And then the profitability of knowledge. Or to put it another way, the origin, the means, and the end of knowledge. That's what we're going to examine briefly this morning. So this first idea, the preeminence of knowledge. Well, let's briefly remember our physician. She is only suited to doctoring uh, if she has learned the right knowledge. 
years of schooling, of self-study, and a priority placed on learning the human body, its diseases that can affect it. This is the origin of her knowledge. That's how she becomes astute and able to care for people. So astute knowledge is preeminent in the medical profession. Without it, you're just another talking head. Well, in the same way, scriptural knowledge is preeminent in knowing God. Indeed, without scriptural knowledge, we cannot know God. Paul intentionally articulates its preeminence in verse 10. He tells Timothy, you have followed my teaching, my conduct, my way of life. And this instruction to Timothy was scripture. Again, which is, verse 16 says, is God breathed. You see, Paul's conduct and way of life comported with his instruction or with his teaching. Teaching is listed first because you have to know in order to have the right way of life and the right aim and purpose. A Princeton theologian, Ellen Chari, notes the preeminence of knowing. She writes, By and large, whether intentionally or inadvertently, willingly or unwillingly, reflectively or innocently, we become what we know. We become what we know. Excellent character doesn't just happen. And this captures what Paul is saying and what he's charging to Timothy. Knowing God in such a way only comes through Scripture. And it's an active understanding. And it reveals God, his character, but it also reveals what humanity is. You see, creation is helpful. And as a believer, I love spending time in creation. But we cannot know God through creation osmosis. It doesn't work like that. And all of this boils down fairly simply. You cannot know God or salvation outside of Scripture. That's Paul's point here. Scriptural knowledge is preeminent to everything Christian. And this knowledge, it also must remain pure and untainted by either culture or our own hearts. You see, research shows two important facts about our minds. That one, we're often blind to the obvious. We can't look at creation and say, oh, I know this God, this makes total sense. And secondly, we're actually blind to our own blindness. We aren't even qualified to determine which knowledge is appropriate for us. Thus, it's even more imperative that Scripture be the knowledge, be our preeminent knowledge. Now again, just like for the physician, raw knowledge of Scripture can stay just that, raw knowledge. We also have the responsibility to colonize this knowledge in our, our hearts and our minds. In verse 13, Paul states that imposters, and this means people who veer from correct knowledge or teaching, they actually progress backwards, making their final place worse than their starting point. 
and they think that they are advancing, but they're actually progressing the wrong way. And this is contrasting his perpetual charge to Timothy when he says, but as for you, but as for you, Timothy, continue in what you have firmly, or in what you have learned and firmly believed. This word continue here, its tense is present. It's a present verb, meaning there's an ongoing nature about it. He is to continue to do it all the time. And it's also active. Timothy has a role in this. His responsibility is to continually colonize his mind with the knowledge of God, with Scripture. You see, this colonization of Scripture into our minds, it renews our mind, like Scripture calls us to do, and in turn, it purifies our hearts, allowing us to know and to worship God. See, the Westminster Shorter Catechism states it at the outset. The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. But you see, if we don't know God, we can't glorify him. And if we don't colonize our minds and our hearts, it's going to be difficult to enjoy God as well. So we're called to a lifelong appropriation of Scripture into our lives. And I think maybe no one else better captures this uh, than John Calvin. Uh, He talks about without the knowledge of God, we actually don't have a knowledge of our own self. He states, For what man in all the world would not gladly remain as he is? What man does not remain as he is? so long as he does not know himself. Namely, while content with his own gifts and either ignorant or unmindful of his own misery. So we can be content with what we think we know about ourselves, but we truly don't even know ourselves without knowing God, without knowing Scripture. See, like the doctor who synthesizes the raw knowledge of the body and its processes, and then makes uh, an astute judgment and diagnosis, the active colonization of Scripture is the cure to our ignorance and to our misery. See, Paul is connecting this knowledge to relationship as well in verse 14. He says, knowing from whom you learned it. So there's a relational aspect to this as well. Timothy learned this knowledge not only from Paul, but also from his own family. And that means for us, the colonization of knowledge of Scripture doesn't occur in isolation, which is another wonderful reason to come and join on Sunday mornings, because it's inherently relational. You see, when we colonize with Scripture, We not only foster relationships with others, but we cultivate intimacy with our Savior. So, while knowing God brings him glory, it's advantageous for us to to do, to colonize uh, our minds with Scripture in every way. And lastly, I want to look at the profitability of knowledge. How does this profit me? Sometimes we're like, hey, what's in it for me? Ah, we're at your point now. 
The knowledge of God and its accompanying epistemological fidelity has its end goal in human flourishing. That's the goal of all this knowledge. And first, it's salvation. Verse 14, we read, it says, which the scriptures are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. But again, we have to know our own condition. We have to know who God is to know that we need to be saved. But what's in it for me? Salvation, rescue, human flourishing. And this is reiterating Calvin's point. We cannot have knowledge of ourselves without the knowledge of God. And verse 15 becomes a little more clear about the prophets of knowledge. It is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. You see, Paul is setting here the highest ideal of completion, perfected in righteousness through the knowledge and the teaching of Scripture. But also, notice mere knowledge isn't enough. Just like with the physician, when we go to the doctor, we need to have trust and we need to be obedient to the treatment plan. Otherwise, all that appointment won't do us any good. We here need to have trust and obedience with what Scripture says. That's part and parcel of our knowledge. And if we don't have trust and obedience to Scripture, we abdicate our responsibility to appropriate God's word. We can't fully enjoy God without that final ingredient. So the responsibility falls on us just like it does a patient. Do you trust your physician? Will you heed her instructions? She has taken an oath that tends towards your flourishing. Those same questions must be asked about Scripture and about the Lord. Do you trust this Word? Do you trust that God's disposition is benevolence and will tend towards your flourishing? Chuck says at the end of every sermon, will you trust Him? I hope you will. That same question applies here. Will you trust Him that He has your best interest in heart? Similar to the doctor-patient relationship, knowing God is a personal matter. J.I. Packer in Knowing God says, Knowing God is a matter of personal dealing. It's more than knowing about Him. It's knowing Him. Knowing God is also a matter of personal involvement. There's an emotional component to it. Your mind, your will, and your feeling. And finally, knowing God is a matter of grace. The initiative belongs to God. And this is the initiative that Paul is showing us this morning. God has given us these things so that we might know God. You see, Scripture profits relationships. It profits marriages and family. It profits this church. It profits your growth and grace. It profits your worldview. It profits all that we know in our Christian walk. It is advantageous in every way. 
So this is what epistemological fidelity looks like. Knowing Scripture and knowing God, not just knowing about Scripture, about God. See, Paul has helped us to understand the origin, the means, and the end of our knowledge. And briefly, I want to offer a few concluding reflections this morning. First, information in our day, information and knowledge is instant and it's abundant. There's more than what we could ever hope to sift through. And everyone claims this is authoritative knowledge. The cultural narratives we breathe threaten the purity of our knowledge. And sometimes they are not overtly against Scripture, but rather they covertly assimilate their own agenda into it, much like an imposter that Paul is talking about. One area this has taken hold is the political realm. Political ideologies slowly poison our knowledge of, of Scripture, of what we know that it says, whether it's joining the chorus of divisiveness, anger, mask-wearing, or immigration. You see, we tend to support arguments that support our foregone conclusion. And I'm afraid we're far too concerned with knowledge about perceived threats to our American freedoms than we are the gospel. And that applies to me as well. Secondly, I think we tend towards passivity in knowledge. In a sense, I think we all, just the human nature, we're intellectually lazy. The ease of passively absorbing knowledge, whether it's the news, Instagram feed, or Netflix, that this is a powerful draw to be passive in receiving knowledge. But what Paul is calling us to is an active search of Scripture, an active knowing of God, to search it out so it can train us in righteousness, to let God speak for himself. We've already talked about how we can't know God passively through creational osmosis. We have to be active in knowing him. And then as we're active, Hebrews 4 tells us that Scripture is doing the same to us. It says it is living and active, discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. This is wonderful. And then third and finally, you must have an evaluative posture of knowledge. We cannot just let everything come at us and absorb it. We need to have a scriptural filter, so to speak. What knowledge do you seek as authoritative? Where do you search for this knowledge? And what are the ends of this knowledge that you're searching for? Unscrupulously, we claim and cherish cherish knowledge that imperils our faith. We're all guilty. The uncritical appropriation of cultural knowledge into Scripture. Some of that we can't help. We live in 2021. But if it's uncritical, then I don't think we're heeding the call of what Paul is calling us to do here. The question we must ask is, Am I in the manner of knowing God? I didn't ask, am I in the manner of knowing about God? But am I in the manner of knowing God? 
His Word and the personal aspect of it. Unfortunately, we all know this to be true. Knowledge is often used to serve the self. Whether it's secret knowledge before something is released, uh, such as maybe a big business decision that will affect a share price, uh, but knowledge is used to serve the self, to get ahead, to manipulate others, or to manipulate the truth, to weaponize knowledge, to gain influence or money. Or we seek knowledge to somehow extend our life or to make it more healthy. These are the ends that we typically think to use knowledge for. And there are countless reasons we desire knowledge, not all of which are bad. But as Proverbs tells us, this type of knowledge puffs up. Epistemological fidelity not only leads to intimacy with your Savior, but it's also for your good. Paul in 1 Corinthians 8, he states, if anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. Knowledge itself cannot be our chief end. I don't want you to walk away with that this morning. That is not the chief end of man. Knowledge. Because Paul then says, but if anyone loves God, he is known by God. This, my friends, is the chief aim of our knowledge, to know God. And I don't think I could say it any better than J.I. Packer with this apt quote. He says, what matters supremely, therefore, is not, in the last analysis, the fact that I know God, but the larger fact which underlies it. The fact that he knows me. I know him because he first knew me. I am never out of his mind. This is huge. This is important knowledge. There is an unspeakable comfort that energizes in knowing God. And knowing that God is constantly taking the knowledge of me in love. And watching over me for my good. But the fact that he knows us, that's the chief end of our knowledge. So for the sake of the blood of the Lamb of Jesus Christ, my final charge to you, Christ the King, is that you would know Christ and the power of his resurrection. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for these words uh, from Paul where he's charging this young pastor to know you, to keep the purity of Scripture. Lord, you know our day, our time, our situation. And you know this is you know our own disposition as humans. So I pray that by your spirit, the spirit of truth, that you would guide us and guard us in the right knowledge, Father, that we might know you, that we might seek you, Father. Uh, and I pray that you would help us to keep pure in our knowledge as well, Lord, that that by your Spirit you would convict us when we believe or hold to something that's not right or pure, as Scripture calls it, Father. And so I pray that the ends of all this, Father, that your Spirit would help us to know you, and that more importantly, that we would know that we are known by you and loved by you. So watch over us, keep us in your word, I pray that we would know Christ and the power of his resurrection. In Jesus' name, amen.